Having said that, I want to jump into uh, what the sermon's about today. We're going to go to Galatians 1, 11 through 24, like I said. Sometimes the uniqueness of the revealed Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ is seen most clearly when contrasted with other spiritual beliefs. Contrasting the gospel of Jesus Christ with other spiritual beliefs. Lauding the Dalai Lama, the Dalai Lama, as one of the world's 100 most influential leaders, author... Deepak Chopra wrote this in Time magazine. The most inspiring thing the Dalai Lama ever told me was to ignore all organized faiths and keep to the road of higher consciousness. Without relying on religion, we look to common sense, common experience, and the findings of science for understanding, he said. The Dalai Lama sounds wise, and his words certainly fit the mood of our culture. But we must see clearly... What his advice means. His advice means that you ignore Christianity because it is an organized religious faith. It means you ignore the church of Jesus Christ, which Jesus himself said he would build. It means you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in the flesh, crucified for our sins, raised from the dead, because the gospel flies in the face of all common sense, human experience, and science. Make no mistake, the gentle-looking man in the maroon robe is offering advice that will lead you far from the only way of salvation. In fact, going a little bit further, when you accept advice like that, postmodern, worldly, new age type of advice, like the Dalai Lama said, you have no, no way of dealing with your sin. Christianity is the only organized faith that has a way of dealing with our sin problem. And it is grace-based as opposed to works-based. We could summarize this sermon series on Galatians really as Jesus plus nothing. It's grace alone through faith alone through Jesus alone for salvation. So we're continuing our sermon series on Galatians. And we go to Galatians 1, 11 through 24. And we see Paul defend himself in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. And some people look at this and we think... That Apostle Paul, he is so arrogant. Why is he defending himself once again? Why does he care? Well, this is why he cares. Sometimes when the leader is taken down or criticized unjustly, it hurts the faith of those under the leadership. Paul is defending himself only in order to defend the gospel which he preached to the Galatians. These False apostles, so to speak, these Judaizers, we call them, have come in and they've tried to steal the good foundation that the Apostle Paul planted in that church. He's defending himself only for the sake of the people. It's really not unlike Paul as a father in the faith. Paul really is. He's a paternal influence on them. He's a spiritual father to the people of Galatians, of the Galatia area. And when the father is harmed falsely, it hurts the children, too. It hurts the family. It hurts the family of God in the Galatia area. So Paul begins to defend himself here in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. Remember that a major theme in Galatians is grace. Paul is encouraging them that they do not have to keep the Jewish law, and they are saved by grace and not works. We are made right with God by grace through faith. So today's theme is the following. The gospel comes from Jesus. We see this in verse 12. The gospel comes from Jesus. We see this in verse 12. Let's read Galatians 1, 11 through 24. 
I'm going to read that. If you would turn there in your Bibles, if you uh, have one with you, or maybe a tablet, that's good too. But please turn in the passage. Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Spirit. For I'd have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen being more zealous, more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, it stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles, except James, the Lord's brother. Now what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing. He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith, which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Before we talk specifically about this passage in Galatians, let me share a little bit of an aside. If you look at 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, Paul exhorts Timothy in his dying words, and he says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke and train with great patience and instruction. Paul continues there, right there, to say the time will come where people will not endure sound doctrine, but instead they will uh, gain teachers and crave teachers and look for teachers to tell them just what their itching ears want to hear. Paul continues and tells Timothy, But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Do the work of an evangelist. Right there in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, I gain my philosophy of preaching, my philosophy of the sermon. It seems to me that Paul encourages and exhorts uh, Timothy right there and us through Timothy to preach the word, to preach the Bible. This is the only truth that matters right now, the Bible, the word of God, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that's why I predominantly prefer to preach in a way that would be called expository preaching. It means you preach through books of the Bible. We did that through Ephesians last year, and now we're starting that in Galatians. And sometimes you might hear expository sermons, and you might think, that sounds just a lot like Sunday school. And I would say, okay, great. <laughs> Uh, because Sunday school didn't really come about till the 1780s. Before that, the preaching, which was very long, was proclaiming and teaching through the Bible. So preaching has a strong element of teaching, teaching the Word of God to the people of God. Preaching has a strong element, element right there of where the Word of God demands it, rebuking or reproving or correcting, training in righteousness, encouraging, 
But that all goes back to the Bible. The Bible is the source. So as we preach this third sermon on Galatians, you might think of some and think, this is just teaching like Sunday school. And I would say, yep, that's what preaching's supposed to be. Sunday school and Bible study Wednesday night, that's all to complement the public proclamation of Sunday morning preaching of the Bible. And I hope that we all come to the worship service eager to hear from God. And you hear from God through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit working in the Word of God. If you can't confirm what comes through the Sunday morning sermon with the Word of God, there's a problem. We've got to confirm everything back to the Word of God. 2 Timothy 4 follows 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which says all Scripture is God-breathed or inspired. And so it's useful. Why is it useful? Because it's God-breathed, because it comes from God, because it's inspired. It shows useful for reproving and rebuking and training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Scriptures are the truth. That's absolute truth, and that's what we need to proclaim. And really... Coming back into Galatians 1, 11 through 24, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is claiming. Paul is taking them back to the revelation. It's a special revelation which he heard directly from Jesus. Paul got the gospel which he preached to them directly from Jesus. And that's in verses 11 through 12. In verses 11 through 12, we see that Paul's revelation came from God and not man. Paul's revelation came from Jesus and not man. In verse 11, we see that this gospel is not according to man. This gospel is preached by Paul. And this is a really important truth to take in. Now, you may ask, why is this so important? Why is this so important? And, and, and I'm glad you asked. I'm going to answer that. I'm just reading your mind right there. Why is it so important that this gospel which Paul proclaimed came directly from Jesus? It's important because these Judaizers, that's what they're called, Judaizers, had followed Paul and tried to tell them that they had to keep the whole law. They tried to tell the people of the Galatia area that they had to keep the whole law, that they're saved by keeping the Jewish law, the ceremonial law, the moral law. They're not saved unless they keep the law. They're not saved unless they go through all of this, the dietary laws, the circumcision, and all this type of stuff. And Paul comes back and proclaims to them, either you got to keep the whole law or you got to keep none, and it's by grace you're saved through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. We are saved by grace because nobody could keep the law anyways. Nobody could keep it. We need God's grace. I believe that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. If you want to look at the Sermon on the Mount later on, you look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you see Jesus continually saying, you got to be a little better than the Pharisees to get into heaven. The Pharisees are thinking, whoa, what do you say? The people are thinking, did he really go there? Yeah, he did go there. The people are laughing because the Pharisees were always placing burdens on the people. They were always placing burdens on the people. And Jesus was saying, even the Pharisees aren't good enough. Even the Pharisees trying to keep all their 700-some laws, something like 723 laws, are not good enough because you need a Savior. You need a Savior. It's Jesus plus nothing. We are saved by grace through faith. And it's important that Jesus right here is saying, I got this directly from Jesus. These Judaizers trying to tell them they got to keep the whole law, they were saying these other apostles agreed with it. And later on, Paul says, Peter and Jesus' brother James and the pillar apostles, they endorsed the gospel of grace. But it doesn't matter. This came from Jesus himself. 
Paul tells the, still uses the term of endearment. He calls them brothers, which could be translated brothers and sister. Paul also says that he wants them to know the following information, the information he's getting ready to share. The ESV study Bible summarizes. Paul received the gospel directly from Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. His gospel was not derived from Peter or any other human authorities. His gospel was validated by the pillar apostles in Jerusalem. Galatians 2.9 says that. The authority of Paul's gospel is evident in his rebuke of Peter when he failed to live in accord with the gospel. In Galatians 2.11-21, the apostle Paul even rebu rebukes Peter for being a little bit hypocritical, but a little bit two-faced. Paul apparently is responding to criticism that he is peddling a gospel received from man, not from God, and that he is doing so simply to please man rather than God. Paul does not simply defend himself out of resentment or wounded pride, but shows a pastoral concern, a pastoral concern to reassure the Galatians that the gospel they received was the authentic one, not a false message delivered by an untrustworthy messenger. This is the authentic Grace-based gospel. There can be no other way. In verses 13 through 14, Paul speaks about his life before Christ. And actually, if you read Acts 8.3 and Acts chapter 22 and 26, we can read a lot about Paul's life before his salvation. Verse 14, Paul says that he was advancing in Judaism more than his contemporaries. Paul says he was very zealous for the law. And when we read about this idea of being zealous for the law, we can think about people who had great zeal. There's a guy named Phineas in the Old Testament, Numbers 25. Phineas had great zeal. In between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was a Maccabean revolt. The Maccabees had great zeal. Actually, if you read about the Maccabees, how they came in and they took back Jerusalem, it's an amazing, wonderful, historical story. Actually, I think it'd make a good movie. I'm waiting on Mel Gibson to make his next movie about that. But uh, I should write him a letter. It'd be like Braveheart plus better. Anyways, the Maccabees had great zeal. And Paul is saying that he was zealous for the whole law. He was zealous for all the traditions. And what he means by this, he wasn't just zealous for the, the Old Testament law that we know of. He was zealous for all the traditions these traditions eventually were made into what was called the Mishnah, the Midrashim, and the Targums, these Jewish laws. They're not even necessarily scriptural, but Paul was zealous. And Paul was very much set on these rules and rituals of Judaism. We like rules, don't we? But we have to remember that we're not saved by rituals. We're not saved by rules. Sometimes these rules and these rituals might give us a little bit of a spiritual high, a little adrenaline boost. And we must beware, because that's not where our salvation is. A constant state of adrenaline arousal, although physically damaging, is often experienced as plateau excitement, as pleasant excitement and stimulation. And it is this that makes it most dangerous, because we can come to think of the arousal state, the adrenaline arousal state, as normal. And we depend on that high it gives us to get anything accomplished. One person writes, I believe there is a corresponding spiritual danger. Becoming dependent on adrenaline arousal for the good feelings of life can create an association between spirituality and high arousal. In other words, one doesn't feel spiritual unless one is being stimulated by adrenaline arousal. Many expressions of spirituality have become linked to adrenaline arousal, and this can be very harmful. 
A great many of the true saints of God have found their peak spiritual experiences in quietness and solitude. But many modern saints, with air quotes around them, look for it only in exciting challenges or emotional catharsis. Be careful of these, maybe even false adrenaline boosts, thinking that that's spirituality. It may or may not be. And sometimes we get those by this rule-based spirituality. But Christianity is not about keeping the law. It's about salvation by faith alone, through grace alone. By grace alone, through faith alone. And that's what Paul is giving them. In verses 15 through 24, Paul talks about his early Christian life. Again, he continues that. In verse 15, this is comparable to Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. Jeremiah talked about being set apart from his mother's womb. And the Apostle Paul talked about God choosing him and setting him apart early on as well. God set apart Paul from the womb in order to declare the gospel to the Gentiles. And his calling came from God. So Paul did not need to consult with human beings because the calling came from God. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, Paul had his calling. And God talks about Paul's mission being to the Gentiles. Verse 17 is recorded in Acts 9, 19 through 22. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. Paul goes to Arabia and then Damascus to spend time with the disciples and then he preaches. The, the ESV study Bible summarizes the journey to Arabia and back to Damascus takes place in the gap between Acts chapter 9, verse 25 and 26. So sometimes we don't realize there's gaps in between certain verses in the Bible where things are happening. And in this case, Paul's journey to Arabia and Damascus. Paul later goes to Jerusalem and he was acquainted with Peter. In Acts 9.26, it records him coming to Jerusalem and the people were afraid of him. Now, why would the people be afraid of him? He's the Apostle Paul. That's why they're afraid of him, because they knew him as Saul, the one who was terrorizing churches. He was really a terrorist back then, going in, dragging people from their homes, and, 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 and breathing out murderous threats. Paul stayed with Peter 15 days. In verse 19, he specified that the only other one he saw was Jesus' half-brother James. And this is important in context, because Paul is making the case that he received the gospel of grace from God and not from the other apostles. It was Jesus himself who confronted Paul and taught Paul the gospel which he proclaimed. Galatians 2.9 does say Paul was affirmed by the pillars of the church. Verse 21, Paul travels to Syria and Cilicia. And then in Acts 9.30, it shows that he travels more to Caesarea and Tarsus. Acts chapter 15, verse 23 and 41 records Paul's travels in Syria and Cilicia. This chapter concludes with a really awesome truth. It says they were hearing that the one who persecuted them is now proclaiming the faith they once tried to destroy. We see that in Acts 9.21 as well. The one who was persecuting the church, the one who was breathing out murderous threats, is now declaring the gospel, being the biggest proponent of the gospel. And then it says, they glorified God because of Paul. They gave the glory to God. Here's some applications. Can we be content to trust in Jesus in the gospel of grace? Or do we always want to go back to a gospel of rituals and roles? Can we trust in Jesus in the gospel of grace? This is where doctrine matters once again. Can we trust verse 12 that the gospel came from Jesus? 
Also, can we give God the glory? Notice verse 24. They gave God the glory for the transformation of the Apostle Paul. They saw a changed life in the Apostle Paul. Do people see a changed life in you? We're all going to mess up. We're all going to have struggles and troubles. But are the patterns of your life reflecting who you serve? And that is Jesus. Are you living for Jesus? Give God the glory. Robert Weber is a former uh, worship theologian, and he writes the following. He says, I was traveling on a plane from San Francisco to Los Angeles a few years ago. I was sitting next to the window reading a Christian book. The man next to me, obviously from the Eastern Hemisphere, asked, Are you a religious man? Well, yes, I said. I am too, he responded. We began talking about religion. In the middle of the conversation, I asked, Can you give me a one-liner, a one-liner that captures the essence of your faith? Well, yes, he said, we are all part of the problem, and we are all part of the solution. Now, hopefully that rings some bells in your head, warning flags. That's not, that doesn't fit with Christian teaching. Robert Weber recognized that. He said, we talked about his one-liner, a statement I felt was very helpful. After a while, I said, would you like a one-liner that captures the Christian faith? A one-liner that captures the Christian faith. Sure, he responded, we are all part of the problem, but there is only one man who is the solution. His name is Jesus. We are all part of the problem, but there's only one man who is the solution. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the solution, and Paul is proclaiming to the Galatians that the gospel is about the grace of Jesus. I have one illustration I want to give you before we wrap up today. I have up here an empty jar. And I'm going to get up so out some things. Some of them good, some not good. This is V8, not good, right? <laughs> some like it, okay. This is spicy V8, a whole different story. This is Cool Whip, really good, right? Yes, thank you, Caleb. We can get applause for the Cool Whip. This is, what else do I have in here? Strawberry syrup. This is good stuff, right? You know, your ice cream's not complete without your strawberry syrup and your Cool Whip. In fact, if you get a treadmill, there's a little place uh, for your Cool Whip to go as you, ride, as you run on the treadmill. So as you're running on the treadmill, you need an energy boost, just get your Cool Whip, okay? So let's do something here. We got our V8 here, and, and I got a lid, so don't worry uh, about, you know, spilling this. But I'm going to open this spicy V8, and, you know, sometimes I like V8 after a run. I think it's somewhat healthy, although it's got a lot of salt. I know that. So I'm going to pour my V8 in here. And let's all agree that this is all good stuff. This is all vegetables and all good stuff, right? I mean, it's straight good V8. But we're not rabbits, so we don't need a lot of vegetables, right? And, okay, that was a dud. So we want to make the V8 taste better, right? We want to make the V8 taste better. So how do we make it taste better? We put whipped topping in it, right? We need a lot of whipped topping to make it taste better. But... That's not really enough to make this V8 taste good enough, is it? So we should actually also add some syrup. So let's add some syrup to this, to this V8 right now. It's strawberry syrup, so it's healthy. It's got strawberries. So let's add some syrup. Now this is one healthy drink, right? It's not. We just, we just ruined it, didn't we? We just ruined the healthy vegetable drink. By adding syrup and whipped topping to it, we just ruined the healthy drink. And we do that with the gospel, too. 
We have the gospel, which is plain and just good stuff. Jesus alone, by, saved by grace alone, through faith alone. We are, we are given a free gift of salvation. It is totally good, just the way it is. And what we always do, what human beings always do in our fallen nature, and what the devil wants us to do is add rituals and rules to it. And we do that. It's like adding whipped cream and syrup, and we could go on with peanut butter and all this other stuff to a good, healthy drink. We ruin it. Besides making it taste probably quite terrible. Caleb's going to drink it after the service. <laughs> so remember, we are saved by a free gift of salvation, by grace alone, through faith alone, through Jesus alone. Remember, this is where doctrine matters. Don't veer off to the right or to the left of the correct theology of salvation. Don't let other people let you veer off. People will come in and they'll try to add to the gospel. They try to add the whipped cream and all this other stuff. And save that for your dessert at home, not for the gospel. Let's have a word of prayer as we close. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the gospel, which is good and right for salvation. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you give us the gospel through the Bible, through the word of God. I thank you that you give us this example in Galatians, where the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, corrected false teaching corrected heresy really heresy as it was lord jesus i thank you for our salvation if there's anyone here who has not given their life to you may today be the day where they surrender they surrender to you as lord and savior confessing they're a sinner in need of a savior believing that you are the only savior committing their life to you and trusting in you and we trust in you lord for our salvation help us all living for you we can't do it on our own we need you Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.